Hi there, this is Pastor Aaron of Fairview Cornerstone Baptist Church, and we pray that through the preaching of God's Word that you were encouraged and pointed to Christ, our glorious Savior. If you have any questions or comments, uh, you can find us at www.fairviewcornerstone.com, and uh, please write to us. We'd love to uh, hear any questions or comments. We pray the Lord encourage you through this sermon. been some time since we've been in Luke, but I think you'll quickly recall some of the events that have happened when we uh, left off before Christmas, and the animosity towards Christ escalating as he continues to teach and heal, but especially as he taught and healed on the Sabbath, and his disciples were um, picking the grain from the fields and, and upsetting the Pharisees that they were they felt like they were disregarding their Sabbath laws, and we came to the end of verse 11, that they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus, and the other gospel writers tell us they actually were plotting to kill Jesus at this point already, and so that's what uh, came right before we're going to pick up in verse 12 this morning, so if I can please invite you to, to stand, and we'll read a few verses together from Luke's account of the life of our Lord. So uh, Luke chapter 6, verse 12, and uh, we'll just read down to the end of 19. In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, Andrew, his brother, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. And he came down to them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. So we remember that the the grass withers and the flowers fall. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. So today, I I want us, even in light of the new year, and we maybe some of you have been thinking about uh, resolutions and doing a little bit of self-examination, things that we can do better at, or we want to to maybe build into our life in the new year, and and I've been thinking a lot about, um, not only individually, but even for us corporately, as a church, what, what would be a, a, a prayer, a goal, a, an aim for us to do better in the new year? And it's appropriate that we come to this few verses in Luke 12, and we get this little glimpse into the prayer life of our Lord, into the time and devotion that Jesus Christ gave to prayer in his lifetime. And uh, we don't get the details 
of exactly what was prayed. We, we could probably guess some of the um, things that were on Jesus' mind as he is preparing to choose disciples. He is preparing to name apostles who would carry the gospel to the nations, who would take the torch after he ascended to heaven and, and bring the, the word of God to the people of God. But we see this uh, amazing model of prayer in the life of Jesus. And so I want us just to think about this together for a few moments and to um, ask the question, uh, what role did prayer play in the life of Jesus? What, what purpose did prayer have in the life of Jesus Christ? And I think we will see from that, we also will understand how prayer should play out in our lives as his disciples. Um, it's fitting that we've we, we, you know, been spending some time in Philippians and looking at the, um, the incarnation of Jesus Christ and uh, his ministry as a man, his humility, and yet prayer in the life of Jesus is, is fascinating because it's not something that was only a reality during his time as a, a man on the earth but rather his prayer life was really a continuation of the fellowship that he enjoyed from all eternity with the Father and the Spirit. And it is, even as we sang this morning, prayer is something that Jesus continues to give himself to before the throne of God on our behalf. He continues to be a great high priest who is interceding, who is communing with the Father in prayer and so it's an, it's an amazing reality in the life of Jesus. And uh, hopefully we can better understand uh, exactly what role it played in his life. So what is prayer? We hear this word uh, used in, in religious circles. It's not even just a Christian word. We know that Muslims pray, that, uh, that uh, the Jewish people prayed. We know that Mormons talk of prayer, and Jehovah's Witness, and, and all kinds of religions of the world talk of prayer, and we use this word, and we know it's something that we should be doing, but what is it at its essence? I think a simple way to understand it is simply talking to God. It is the way in which we've been given to commune with God, to talk to God, and of course, there's lots more to, to understand as we think about um, who we are in light of God's holiness and on what basis can we pray and, and what happens when we pray and we think of, of even God's own sovereign will. Somehow he folds in the prayers of the saints into his purposes and his plans that it is one of the means through which God works in the world. So prayer is, on the one hand, very simple. It is us talking to God and yet Within it, there are so many mysteries and, uh, and wonderful things that, that we can come to understand. Um, I like the word communion as well. We think of communion as, as someone, something we enjoy with a close friend, that when you talk and you, your, your hearts connect, your souls connect, and you enjoy that fellowship. In many ways, that's what prayer is to be between us as the creature and God as the creator. But here in the life of Jesus, we see this within the triune God, this communion and fellowship takes place. Um, the, the Westminster 
shorter catechism based on the Westminster Statement of Faith define prayer like this. They said it is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to His will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of His mercy. And uh, another good picture, prayer is us offering up our desires uh, to God. And in prayer, we we are understanding that we are trying to align ourselves to His will, that we are not commanding things of Him, but we are requesting things. And it is in the name of Christ that it is only because of the shed blood of Jesus that we have access to the Father in prayer. And uh, we know that prayer entails sometimes confession of sins, um, sometimes it's thankfulness. Sometimes there is worship and praise and, and adoration. Sometimes we are lifting up the, the needs of others around us in supplication and intercession. And something else we find in prayer, especially in the life of Jesus, is that the prayer is to, to God. We find even as Luke tells us here, as Jesus withdrawed, that he continued all night in prayer to God. And specifically, God, the Father, uh, is the, the one to whom Jesus prays. And um, so I think it's helpful for us to understand that because sometimes we, we maybe feel confused that we know that God is three in one. There's the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And you think, well, who do I direct my prayers to? And, uh, and sometimes um, I think it's perfectly right to to ask things to the Lord Jesus. He is worthy of worship. We can talk to Him. We can ask for the Spirit's help and enabling in our lives and for His equipping and empowering. Um, but primarily we see this focus upon the Father as the one to whom we pray. Um, it is through the Son, by the enabling of the Spirit within us. The Spirit is the one who enables us to pray properly and to cry out, as Paul said, Abba, Father. And it is the Father who we pray um, often to, and we find that very much in the life of Jesus Christ. Some of the old preachers talked of prayer as the breath of the soul. And again, it's another just beautiful uh, picture of what prayer really should be. We're not talking about a religious duty. We're not talking about something that we do to somehow gain favor with God or, or gain a little bit more merit. You know, after so many hours of prayer that we would, uh, you know, like in the Catholic tradition, you're trying to get time uh, out of purgatory or something. That's not what it is. It is this breath of the soul this delighting in God, this understanding that we are not physical creatures only, but we are spiritual. And when the Spirit of God awakens our soul, when we are born again, when the Spirit of God uh, causes us to be brought from death to life and takes up residence within us, then prayer should become um, what oxygen is to the body uh, for our souls. It should be the natural response of a person who has been brought from death to life, that we are in communion with our Father. We are walking with our Father by the enabling work of the Spirit of God within us. So what is the place of prayer in the life of Jesus? Um, first of all, then, I want you to see that prayer in the life of Jesus is not something he only does when there's a crisis or a, a major decision to make, but prayer is a way of life. 
It is a way of life for Christ. And we see this throughout his life, that he would give himself to prayer, that he would spend time in the presence of the Father, in communion with his Father. No doubt in Luke here, this is an important time in his life. Um, Luke uses the phrase, in these days, and probably thinking of the, the anger and the animosity that is building towards Christ in these days, in these days where, where people want Jesus dead, they want him silenced, they want him to go away. And it is in these days that Jesus gives himself to an entire night of prayer. And it is in this time that he no doubt is starting to think about his death, knowing that these same men who are angry at him for what he has just done on the Sabbath will be the ones to call for his crucifixion. And so he begins to turn his attention to these 12 who he will invest himself into to carry the gospel torch. So he then is praying um, in the midst of a very important time. But this is not the first time we've seen Jesus praying. Um, this is uh, a way of life for Jesus. And um, we've seen this even uh, in the beginning of Luke, um, even at his baptism, Luke 3.21, Jesus is praying to the Father and the Spirit uh, descends upon him and the Father uh, speaks from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son, that we find Jesus in a, in a spirit of prayer. Even there we find in Luke 5.16, um, in the midst of of tremendous miracles and, and a, a tremendous following. People were, were flocking to Jesus because of the words that he said and the power with which he healed. But we're told in Luke 5.16 that he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. And Jesus would, would pull away from all of the attention, all of the popularity, all of the busyness, and he would pray to his Father we find as the, the ministry of Jesus continues to, to uh, play out that he is continually praying. And in Luke 11, 1, this beautiful recognition of the disciples, as they look at, at Christ, as they look at their master, they have one primary request of something that they see he does well and consistently. I mean, it could have been any number of things. They could have said, Lord, teach us to preach or teach us to, to lead a small group or Lord, teach us to heal or teach us to cast out demons. But their request in Luke 11.1 1 is, Lord, teach us to pray. And you know if you have a problem um, or you have something you're wanting to learn, you're going to go to the one who you feel is most equipped to help you. Um, if I'm trying to hook up a, a three-way switch in my house, you know, I'm probably um, not going to go to a mechanic. I'm probably going to go to, you know, Luke or, or Bruce or Stephen or someone who knows electricity and say, can you help me understand how to do this? Or maybe just can you come do it for me so I don't electrocute myself? Um, uh, or if you need something repair on your car, uh, you're going to go to someone who understands mechanics and who is going to give you uh, knowledgeable information about that. And, uh, and so you might go to, to Nate or Stan or you're going to go to Josh. You're going to go to someone who, who knows about mechanics. Um, or, you know, I guess if you need, um, you're trying to cook something or make something and, and you're, you're, you're not quite sure how to, to, uh, to do it, you're going to find someone who is known for their, their baking abilities, right? We understand that very much. And so as you think of the disciples looking at Jesus 
and in his life seeing something that they, they no doubt would have struggled with and felt themselves to be uh, very weak at, but they see here's a man who knows how to pray. And this is their request to Christ. It was a way of life for him. It was not just a, uh, a backup emergency plan when things go wrong. In Luke twenty-two thirty-two, at the end of his ministry, he tells his disciples in, in, in his preparing them for what's about to happen, uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't primarily you know, send them off to um, some, some great seminar or, or, or necessarily give them a, a great stack of books. Or, or his, his primary preparation, he tells them in Luke twenty-two thirty-two, is I have prayed for you. I have lifted you men up before the Father, and this is how I am preparing you. One of the primary ways Jesus cared for his disciples, which he still does for us, uh, which is a tremendous thought. And even in his last hours, Jesus is found in prayer. In the Garden of Gethsemane, we know the scene where he withdraws and and he, he asks his disciples to pray with him. He is in such turmoil about what is to happen, that he must pray. And even after his disciples fall asleep in prayer, uh, Jesus continues in prayer to his Father. We've probably all heard of, uh, you know, a bucket list, that um, what, what, things that you would want to do before you die. And, and uh, specifically, if people know that they are likely going to be nearing the end, there, there is this sense of urgency and things. I must do these things. I must, I must experience these things before I die. Even I think of the, uh, I think it was Tim McGraw or someone wrote a song, Live Like You're Dying, and you know, you're supposed to go climb the Rockies, and you're supposed to go skydiving, and you're supposed to do all of these things, and that would mean that you're, you're living like you're dying. But if we were to look at the life of Christ, for him to live like he is dying, for him to know he is within hours of his own crucifixion, he prays. He spends time before the Father in prayer. And it is an amazing picture of how prayer was very much uh, a way of life for Jesus. Hebrews 7.25 gives us this insight into his, his time on the earth. It says, Hebrews 7.25, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And that even still, Christ lives to intercede for the church, for you and for me. Christ is praying to the Father. So clearly, we can see in the Gospels, Jesus had prayer as a way of life for him. This was, this was part of, of every day, every moment. Jesus had this spirit, this attitude of communion with his Father, And if we are to serve as priests under our high priest who is Christ, all of us who have been born again are called priests of the new covenant. We have been brought in to join Christ in his ministry, not in in the same way. Again, he is our high priest, and so we function under Christ, in Christ. But we should not be surprised that we too ought to be a people of prayer. If our Lord lived this way, if prayer was a part of his life, part of the very fabric of every day, how much more should we seek to follow him in this work? 
It's not just for those in leadership. It's not just for those who are mature in the faith. It should be for every Christian to give themselves to prayer. And it is no doubt one of the most difficult things we can persist in. It is hard to pray because it is completely contrary to what our flesh would say to do, especially in our society. Um, I was grateful when I was looking over the, the, my own job description as what am I supposed to be uh, doing uh, week by week here as pastor. And, and on there uh, was actually stated to spend a certain amount of time in prayer for this congregation. And that blessed me to, to see that that was it was understood that this is a part of our work, but, but of course not just for pastors and leaders, but for every believer. We are to be giving ourselves to prayer just as Christ himself did. Um, I think all of us would agree here that prayer is important. We would agree that it should be a, a, a part of the Christian's life. We would agree that we're probably often guilty of neglecting it, of, of failing to really put in the time and the effort to pray as we should. And we would look at Christ, and, and if anyone could get away with, without prayer, we would think Christ himself, who is God in flesh. Surely, if anyone didn't need to pray, it would have been Christ, and yet we find him continually going to the Father in prayer. And so we should we should seek after that. We should ask the Lord as the disciples did. Teach us, Lord, to pray. Andrew Murray said this about prayer in the life of Jesus. He said, Of all the traits of a life like Christ, there is none higher and more glorious than conformity to him in the work that he now engages in. Without ceasing in the Father's presence, his all-prevailing intercession if you want to be Christ-like, if you want to, in the new year, be more conformed to the image of Christ, then learn to pray. Ask Him to teach you. Set aside time in your day. Put it in your schedule. Put it down as, a, as an appointment, as a meeting, that I need to spend time with my Heavenly Father in prayer and ask the Lord to help you. So as we see this uh, clearly as part of the, a way of life for Jesus, what is it that motivated him? What is it that caused Jesus to be a man of prayer? And I think that we see, secondly, um, prayer in the life of Jesus was communion with his Father. Prayer in the life of Jesus was communion with his Father. It was not just a religious activity. It was not just a law that was to be kept. It was Christ enjoying, longing for the communion with his heavenly Father. We find even at the end of his life in John uh, 17.5, that great high priestly prayer where, where thankfully we, we get to read and, and listen in on the prayer of Christ in John 17, an amazing passage that I'm so grateful uh, is in the Gospels. And we find Jesus praying to his Father, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Christ longed to be in communion and fellowship and in the presence again with his Father. And I think this very much 
motivated Christ in his prayer. Um, As I said at the start, uh, it is not as though prayer was something unique to the earthly life of Jesus, but rather it is the extension of the fellowship that he enjoyed from all eternity past and that he continues to enjoy now in the presence of his Father. It is the, the communing with his God, with his Father in heaven. We know that in John 5.20, Jesus said, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. This is not Christ as a mercenary who's been paid a certain amount to come and, and do this work for the Father. This is not Jesus as someone who is, who is a slave and is, is, is simply under his master's um, will that, that he is doing something he doesn't want to do. This is not Jesus even just fulfilling a contract that was signed and, and that, that he must fulfill. This is a son loving his father, delighting in his presence, longing to, to commune with him. This is what drove Jesus, I believe, over and over again to spend time in prayer. And as we think about that for us, um, we know that it's not hard to spend time with someone that you love. It's not, it's not a burden. And um, you may think back, if, if you're married even to, um, sometimes it's, it's more distinct when you're not married because you, you haven't, I guess, been able to take them for granted like we so often do with our spouses. But, you know, you remember just when you were apart, you, you couldn't wait to see them again. You couldn't wait to talk to them again. And I hope it's true for you. I, I can say even after 10 years of marriage, I do not like to spend the night away from my wife. I, I don't like to go on a trip uh, without my wife. Sometimes you have to, but there's this sense in which I wish she was here. I wish I could, could uh, you know, experience this with her. Or that there's, that, there's that love that, that causes you to want to be together. And that is what it is for Christ and his father in prayer. Even as parents, sometimes you may feel completely overwhelmed by your children and you just long for a day to to just get away and have some time to yourself. But then when you find yourself without your children, you're, you're you're thinking of them, you're missing them. You maybe find a picture and you think, oh, I just, I just love them as much as they can drive me crazy at times. I, I love them, I miss them. You want to, to be with them. And uh, perhaps for some of you, you've experienced that transition when the children start to, to leave the house and, and uh, talk to my folks a bit at just the, the challenge of, of having these children that you are so used to being with and then suddenly they're, they're leaving and, and you long to to be with them, but you don't want to, you know, be the overbearing parent that can't let their child go. And, and, and that's natural, isn't it? We long to be with those that we love. We find joy in that fellowship, and that's how it should be in prayer for us as Christians. And I know that it's not always the case, but I think this, as we see in the life of Christ, can begin to transform the way we view prayer in our own life. And we do need to be careful. Um, many today like to say things like, we are all the children of God. And it doesn't matter if you're Catholic or Christian or Mormon or Buddhist or Muslim or Sikh or Hindu or, Jew- or Jewish. We're all the children of God. And, and, and I would say, in a sense that we are created by God and that we bear His image, uh, yes, we all share in that uh, identity, 
But we are not all the children of God in the sense of being in this love relationship, of being able to call to God and say, Abba, Father. That is not true of every human. That is only for those who have been born of the Spirit, who have been hidden in Christ by faith. Those are the children of God who should enjoy the communion with their Father. Um, Jesus in John 8, 48 actually told the religious leaders that their father was the devil because they rejected him and they practiced lying and they, pract- they, they wanted to m- kill Christ, to murder him, whom Jesus said is just like your father the devil. We must be careful that we don't communicate to the unbeliever that they are somehow part of this family. They somehow have this unique relationship with God where they can call upon him as father and where God looks upon them as a, as a beloved son. That is only for those who are in Christ. But for those who are in Christ... Should this not be one of the greatest comforts to our soul? Should this not cause us to long to spend time with our Father who cares for us, who who knows us, who loves us? Um, We find Paul says in Galatians 4.4, and we just remembered this time when Christ came, and we we, uh, read, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And so there is this process of adoption. We are not born as children of God. And, and we have to be careful even as we, as we look at our own children and, and we try to communicate to them um, the gospel that we don't communicate that because they're our children, they also have this privilege of, of referring to God as Abba Father because the Spirit of God has taken up residence within them. That is only true for those who have been born of the Spirit. And so, yes, we want our children to... to uh, know the goodness of God and, 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 and you know, learn rich songs about the, the love of God for his children, but at the same time, helping them understand that this is really a privilege of those who have been born by the Spirit, who have that Spirit sent into their hearts because they've repented of their sin, because they've professed faith in Christ, that now that Spirit within them, the Spirit of Christ, is calling out, Abba, Father, to our Father in heaven. And there's a lot more we could, we could say about that. But, but if you are a Christian, think of the full blessing this is. That the same joy and communion and fellowship that Jesus experienced with his Father is now given to you by the Holy Spirit. And that, that if you feel like you are unable to approach God because he is angry at you or because he is, is, is somehow waiting for you to slip up so that he can expose your weakness and, and, uh, and, and, and expose your failure so that he can judge you. I mean, that, that is not the picture. That's not the picture of, of who we are in Christ, but rather you think of even our own children or grandchildren 
as much as they may disappoint at times or even say hurtful things, as much as they might even reject our love at times, they are always our children and we look upon them with love. We desire good for them. We want to help them. We want to bless them. We want to, to, to be involved in their lives and to, to be able to enjoy that fellowship with them. How much more does our Heavenly Father long for us to enjoy His presence, to, to trust Him, to love Him, to, to take up the full blessings that we've been given in Christ and to take hold of His mercy in prayer and cry out to God with our needs and with our fears and our failures and lift up our requests as a child would come to their parent and ask them with a, with a sense of trust and love for their parents' help, for their parents' counsel. No parent who, who loves their children is going to be disappointed when their child wants to spend time with them, wants to talk to them, wants to ask for their advice, wants to receive help with something that is too hard. And so it is with our Father in heaven. Um, one more quote from Andrew Murray. I was reading his little book um, in the School of Prayer. In the, in, the, in, in the School of Prayer with Christ, I think was the title, Andrew Murray. But he, uh, he said this about this, this issue, speaking to us. He said, Beloved fellow disciple, we begin to see what the reason is that we know so little of daily answers to prayer and what the chief le lesson is which the Lord has for us in his school. It is all in the name of the Father. We thought of a new and deeper insight into some of the mysteries of prayer of the prayer world as what we should get in Christ's school. He tells us the first is the highest lesson. We must learn to say well, Abba, Father. Our Father which art in heaven. He that can say this has the key to all prayer. In all the compassion with which a father listens to his weak or sickly child, in all the joy with which he hears his stammering child, in all the gentle patience with which he bears with a thoughtless child, we must, as in so many mirrors, study the heart of our Father until every prayer be borne upward on the faith of this divine word. How much more shall your heavenly Father give good gifts to them? that ask. So you take any love, any joy, any delight you have in your children, or maybe you experienced from your father, and you times that by 10,000, and you are just beginning to get a glimpse of the father's heart towards you in Christ. And so go to him in prayer Rejoice in his presence. Enjoy the communion with him. And yes, at times there will be the need for confession. There will be the need for repentance because we have offended him, but he is ready to forgive in Christ. Let us delight in this glorious truth that God is our Father. And I think this motivated Jesus in prayer, that he longed for that communion. And I know that we are out of time, but just to leave you with uh, one final, I think, way in which we see prayer uh, playing out in the life of Jesus. 
and, and the role in which prayer, prayer played in the life of Jesus that is also to be true for us is that prayer was also the expression of Christ's dependence upon the Father. So prayer was a way of life for Jesus. Prayer was the means of communing with his Father. But prayer was also the expression of the dependence that Christ had upon his Father, enabled by the Holy Spirit. In our human thinking, we see dependence as weakness. We see it as, as lesser than. Um, I was listening this past week a little bit between some um, pro-abortion and pro-life people, and they were debating uh, whether the woman should be allowed to choose to um, kill her child or not. And one of the arguments that kept coming up uh, on, the, on the, I guess, in favor of the woman being able to, to make that choice was like, well, the, the baby is dependent on the mother's body, and so that should mean that it's the mother's choice. And of course, if you continue with that logic, then we should be able to, to kill toddlers as well, because they don't last very long on their own. Uh, and you've probably noticed that. They, they tend to self-destruct for some reason if you leave them alone. So that it, it doesn't work. Dependence is a reality of being human, whether we acknowledge it or not. And prayer is us acknowledging that dependence and going to God fully understanding, I am a dependent creature, but that is my joy because it causes me to flee to my, to my God who is the only independent one, who is the all-sufficient one. Prayer for Jesus was the expression of his dependence upon his Father. And this doesn't mean that he is less than. Um, I know we've talked a fair bit about the, the relationship of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit over the past weeks, but it is so important that you understand that the Father and the Son and the Spirit are equal in essence and yet function in unique roles in the plan of redemption. The Father has a unique role in the relationship to the Son and the Spirit, as the Son does to the Father, as the Spirit does to the Son and the Father. And so for Jesus to submit himself in prayer, to depend upon the Father, is not a weakness, and it's not making him somehow less God. It is a beautiful picture of his willing submission to God. And the author of Hebrews again tells us, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. The prayer and the cries of Christ to the Father are a picture of his obedience and his submission to his father. He would go so far to say in John 5, 19, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees his father doing. Christ fully submitted himself to the father's will, and in prayer, we find Christ continually displaying that, seeking the father learning from the Father as to what he was to do. And so you could imagine, here is Jesus about to name his 12 apostles, including Judas, who would betray him. And Jesus knew that from the beginning. 
he spends the entire night in prayer to the Father. We would think, well, maybe he should spend that time, you know, writing up some good resume questions or, or maybe interviewing a few different uh, leaders around town as to how he can best build his church, how he can best, you know, pick the right men with the right skill set and, and the best reputation and the most influence in town that, that he could build this church that he's wanting. But instead, we find Christ spending the night in prayer to the Father as an act of his submission and his willingness to obey what his father said. So much so that, I wish we had time, we won't go there, but John 17, read over uh, John 17. Jesus says, the ones whom you have given me. Jesus didn't pick his disciples on his own accord, but they were given to him by the father. And so in prayer, no doubt, the father is confirming to Christ which men he ought to pick. Which men are the ones the Father has given to him? It is a picture of the submission and dependence of Christ on his Father. And so for us, so for us who have been caught up in Christ by his death and resurrection, by the work of his Spirit within us, prayer becomes the display of our dependence upon him. Um, If we find that we pray too little, and I can say this of myself as much as anybody here, it is often the case that we have become too self-sufficient. We have begun to think of ourselves as quite capable and independent and quite strong, and so we have no need to go to God in prayer. We We have begun to lose sight of our dependence upon God. This happens in our personal lives. This happens as a family. This can happen as a church. When we begin to lose sight that we are totally dependent upon God to do anything of eternal value. And if we begin building the house, and we sang that, 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 that little song last week, that, that, that if, the, if the builder strives, if the watchman keeps uh, watch, then we, apart from the Lord, we, we do it in vain. And prayer is the way in which we are to submit ourselves to the Father and become His instruments. And so, many times we just simply need to confess this to God. God, I have been far too dependent. My lack of prayer is evidence of that. Don't gloss that over. Don't make light of it. Don't excuse it as though, well, you don't know my schedule. You don't know how early my children get up. You don't know how how tired I am. I can't pray. I don't have time. No. You have begun to see yourself as independent from God, and you need to confess it. You need to repent, and you need to ask God to enable you to see yourself rightly before Him and ask Him to teach you to pray as Christ Himself did. Helplessness before God is a blessing, and we'll be soon getting into the, um, the Beatitudes, which are just so strange to our ears. Blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are the hungry. Blessed are you who weep. Why? Because in those times, in the poverty of our spirit, in the weakness of our flesh, in the, the, the poverty maybe even of our own bank accounts, we are driven to God, and we become aware of our dependence upon him. 
And that is the blessed life. And so I will leave you with that. Um, I want to encourage you as well because I think for all of us, we can beat ourselves up pretty bad about prayer and feel like we just, we've failed. What's the point of even trying? What's, what's the point of even trying to, to pray with my wife again? What's the point of even trying to gather my family and, and pray? That, what's the point? It's just gonna, I'm just going to fail again. But, but you're not praying to earn the favor of God. And his love for you is not dependent upon how faithful you are in prayer. It is dependent upon the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so it's all right when you fail and you you fall. Don't despair. You rise up and you preach the gospel to yourself and you cry out to God, teach me to pray, Lord. Please help me, Father. And he is faithful. And may that be our prayer as a church as well. And if you are not here and, uh, today and you have, you have not placed your faith in Christ and you don't know what that is to, to have a sense that God is not only your creator, not only your king, but he is your father, then repent of your sin, confess Christ as Lord, and he will gladly receive all who come to him. And he is willing to adopt all who will put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and be baptized as a, as a picture of that transaction, of that, of that adoption, of you dying to your identity in Adam, you rising to your new identity in Christ adopted by the Father. And so follow in, in baptism as a step of obedience. Let us pray and we will um, partake of the Lord's Supper together and be finished. So, God, I thank you for uh, the patience of of these people, Lord, I know that, uh, God, I can go on and on, but at the end of the day, Lord, it's just words. Unless you, by your Spirit, work in our hearts, unless you move. And so, Lord, we, we ask that you would do that in our hearts as we look ahead to a new year. And, and Father, all of the things that we want to, to do better, may prayer be at the top of our list that we would be a people of prayer and that we would trust you um, as our Father and know that you are able to answer. And so, Father, I pray that you work these things in us and guide us, and we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for tuning in today to the sermon uh, preached at Fairview Cornerstone Baptist Church. And again, if you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can write to us at church at fairviewcornerstone.com. God bless.